Hey listeners, Blair Fraser here and welcome back to another episode of Technology Innovation Series, part of the Maintenance Disrupted Podcast where we take a look at the people and technology fueling Industry 4.0. In this episode, I sit down with Dane Bowers of Modla to talk about the digitalization of asset knowledge. In this episode, we discuss the typical approach we take to answer questions. Like what should my budget be next year? Or what predictive monitoring technologies should I utilize? It doesn't take long in this episode to realize that most of the questions get answered from the foundational knowledge that exists in exercises like FME, A's, and RCM. But more concerning is the amount of information in people's head, that SME knowledge. But how do you get it out? Take a listen to this new approach to answering questions using asset modeling. But before we get into this, here's a quick note from our sponsor. Hello, everybody. This is Steve Doby here, one of your hosts of Maintenance Disrupted. If maintaining heavy equipment in BC and Alberta is part of your job, I'm excited to tell you about the fuel and lubricant supplier, StarWest Petroleum. Having personally worked with StarWest, I can tell you their service is unmatched, and they are committed to saving you both money and downtime. Their service team learns your equipment and suggests ways to extend its life and overall perform better. I was in the throes of starting a new job at a large-scale mine in BC, and we wanted to improve reliability quickly. One of our top issues was hydrocarbon management, and with the support of StarWest team, we were able to reduce our cost and ultimately chart a better path forward for our hydrocarbon management. My bosses were impressed, but I really can't take the credit. StarWest Petroleum did all the legwork. StarWest is a top-tier distributor of Phillips 66 lubricants, Kindall Performance Motor Oils, Phillips 66 Aviation Lubricants, Redline Synthetic, and Aspen Alkylate Fuel for Professionals. Also available from StarWest is clear and marked gasoline and diesel, heating and furnace oil, but really it's their customer service that stands out. For more information, go to starwestpetroleum.ca or send me an email and I will get you in contact with the StarWest team. You'll be glad you did, and so will your equipment. Now, here's your episode. All right, welcome back to another episode of Maintenance Disrupted. Uh, today on the show with me, I have Dane. Dane is the founder and chief engineer of Modla. And the reason I reached out to, to Dane to get him on to this program or the podcast was because he's doing something around asset modeling and be quite candid. I didn't know much about it. And it was actually a, uh, a fellow listener of, of ours from Maintenance Disrupted that reached out and said, Blair, you need to get Dane on the show to talk about asset modeling. What he's doing is, is very unique uh, in this space and um, it'd be very interesting to, to learn more about it. So I reached out and we had an initial discussion. I said, this is fantastic. And now um, Dane from Australia, from Queensland has agreed us to, to share some knowledge into what the heck is asset modeling. So Dane, thank you for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. Um, so before we get started, um, and, and I'll send a link in the show notes because you did a great job at the um, Asset Management Council. You did a presentation about really what is, or an introduction to, to asset modeling. And what I appreciated from that webinar or that video was you didn't necessarily go out and direct it right away to answer the question what it is. You laid the groundwork about how we traditionally approach common questions in companies, right? Like how much spares should I have? Um, 
you know, these activities that we often do in silos from FAMICAs to criticality analysis, spare parts analysis, and all that kind of stuff. So if you could just guide us through what is the general approach um, on how most companies try to answer their questions. Yeah, okay. Um, so usually what happens is it's, it's what's we, what we call a top-down approach. So um, the, the management or the leadership have a question that they want answered for the exec committee or whatever it is. Um, like what should we spend in budgets for next year? Or um, if you get sort of down into the middle management or the maintenance departments and things, it's how, how should we best maintain our XYZ asset? Um, how many spares should we keep and that kind of thing, right? So um, it, the question usually starts from the top. And then what happens is they delegate to their teams, I need to answer to this question. Um, and then you start to get into the realm of subject matter expertise um, in, in the domain knowledge in, in the area of like operations and maintenance, where the people understand the assets and um, the effects of the environment and all of that kind of stuff on their performance. And they go away and they usually um, sort of put their heads together, you know, collate knowledge and data. And we call this section of the process, the kind of knowledge phase, the asset knowledge phase where they're sort of pulling all their information and ideas and um, getting together all the data that they have and so on. And then once that happens, they, they might have meetings or um, you know, run some calculations or analysis on that to kind of derive an answer to the question that's being posed, whether it's like projecting out budgets or running maintenance strategy optimization analysis or, you know, from the, the criticality ranking stuff that's in Famica or whatever it is. There's, there's typically some sort of mathematical or an analytical process in there, and then they derive an answer to the question. And, and then they present that to management, and that's the, the question answered. So that's the typical flow. Um, as I said, it's kind of like a top-down approach. So it's initiated by a question from management, and only then you go and get all the, um, the data and stuff necessary to answer it. Um, but you kind of do it with like a view to answer that question only. So you've got your blinders on, you're like looking for um, only the relevant data that, that's needed to answer that question and not anything else. And what we're doing um, is a little bit different. We're, we're trying to do like a bottom-up approach and, and instead get all of our ducks in a row, get all of our knowledge base sorted first and then draw on that when, when the business questions arise. Right. And I... I, I... I think the, the reality is you said, you know, and likely there's a, you know, there might be a meeting or something in between. There's always a meeting in between. There's a meeting to yeah. discuss. There's a meeting to discuss the data. There's a meeting to discuss what data you need to get. There'll be a meeting to discuss the data you have. You'll meet another meeting to discuss the data that's missing, right? Um, so yeah. there'll be typically in, in most organizations, there's going to be, and probably a meeting just to schedule all the meetings, right? Yep. Yep. It's the, the problem with it is it's um, very, very labor intensive. Because, and, and the key thing is here is that a lot of that knowledge doesn't exist in a way that we can consume it easy as a business. Like it, it sits in everyone's heads. Um, there's some stuff that's in spreadsheets and there's some data that you can use and, and whatever it is. But a lot of that information um, comes from subject matter experts, knowledge and experience, and um, it, it, it's in their head, right? And, right. and if we can figure out a way to codify it um, and put what they've, how they think and how they approach problems into 
some form of software that we can use to answer those business questions, then we can automate that end-to-end -end process somewhat and to varying levels of success, depending on the type of analysis and so on. But um, the whole idea is to get, to be able to create a framework that takes SME knowledge out of their heads and into a, into a system. Right. And, and, and that's what you meant by codification is creating yep. the, the, essentially we're, we're coding in our heads and we're trying to take that, put code in actual, a software platform to extract what is considered, I consider that tribal knowledge, right? Someone that's been doing something for so long, it can't necessarily be expressed in a text form in a CMMS system or something like that, right? Just fundamental knowledge that resides in people. Yep, that's pretty much it. And it's, the, the funny thing is a lot of it, or all of it, as far as I'm concerned, um, can be expressed in like the same way. And we call this, this knowledge um, causal relationships. And what I mean by that is it's like, it's, it's how all humans think it's cause and effect, right? So um, what causes what to happen? And a lot of the SME knowledge, and, and I'll give you an example here, um, is in the same sort of structure. So um, let's say, and, and this isn't represented in data. So this is a purely SME logic thing. Um, it, let's say that a subject matter expert knows that the environment causes corrosion on their pipes. Okay. That's a, this, the environment is a causal relationship with the corrosion rate on the pipe. Okay. That environment can be then broken out into, or that, that corrosivity of the environment can be broken out even further into things like temperature, salinity inhibitor, because they're all um, accelerants of corrosion rates. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, but essentially what you're saying is the rate of the corrosion on this piece of pipe is related to temperature and the um, oops, inhibitor in the environment and pH of the environment or the, the acidity, alkalinity of the environment, right? And that, that sort of stuff is known, but it's not codified. Like we can't, at the moment, there's nothing out there where we can, we, we could plug the temperature in, the pH in and the salinity exactly. in and do a mathematical formula and ca calculate a corrosion rate. But then you need to apply that to the pipe to understand how long it's going to last based right. on its like thickness and all of that sort of stuff. So this is a, that's like a piece of knowledge that's typically not captured, um, especially in like RCM processes and stuff like that. Like um, we don't, we don't draw it out to the boundaries of the, um, the system out to effects of environment and operation and things like that on the asset. Um, and if we do that and we codify that knowledge, then all of a sudden you've got a pipe that when you place it in different contexts in your plant um, or, or across the world or whatever, it now, it now can account for different corrosion rates because of environmental factors. You get what I'm saying? Yep. So, um, and yeah, th this is something that like, if you went from a data first approach, you wouldn't necessarily be able to derive um, I'll give you a, a super simple example of why you can't derive causal relationships from data. Um, it's because, um, okay, here's, the example is the sun rises in the morning and then the, the rooster crows, okay? If you looked at data over 100 years of, of that happening, you would find like a really high correlation or pretty much a correlation of one 
of when the sun rises in the morning, the rooster crows, mm -hmm. right? So you understand there's a relationship there, but this relationship is a causal relationship. One causes the other, not the other way around. So when the sun rises, it causes the rooster to crow. Correct. When the rooster crows, it doesn't make the sun rise. <laughs> That's right. Do, do you get what I mean? So there's a directional element to it. Um, now, if you if you shot the rooster or, or removed it, right, then the sun would the sun would <laughs> still rise. I would hope so. Yeah. Yeah, but if the if if you stop the sun rising, the rooster probably wouldn't crow. Okay, so you can't infer that directional relationship from data because it just says the correlations one and they're related That's like right. you it's can very highly correlated right yeah but but you know in your head that it's causal and that it's one way because of sme logic or because of your understanding of how the world works you get what i'm saying Absolutely. so when i when i codify that i would say if the sun comes up then rooster will crow and it's one way only and not not back the other way um and so, yeah, that's 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 a, a great way of explaining it, Dan. That was that's that's brilliant, um, and, and likely going to be the sound clip we put on the podcast. But <laughs> I'm not too often we get to talk about roosters. But I think that's a brilliant way because I never think about it that way. And and you know, it, it's it's so true. Like it, the you know, the analogy is a snake is a reptile, but not all reptiles are snakes, right? Those type of things, right? Is one fits in one category one way, but you can't reverse the relationship and expect the same truth. Yeah, and when you're looking at data, you can't you can't understand that fully. Um, you can get that they're related, sure, but you can't say why. Like you can't say which one drives the other, and that directionality of it is the key to unlocking how to like automate this stuff because you need a lot of that's in SME heads, and you, once you can kind of structure it in a way that makes sense in the real world, it means it. You need to make it applicable and relevant to like how engineering works and. And how operation of the equipment works and so on um and then you can say you know you increase the speed of this pump um you're increasing its duty you're increasing the wear on all of the components that are in there right and and that it's not that the do you get what i'm saying like you're making an action of changing the pump speed higher that's going to have a flow on effects causal effects in terms of wear and so on and and because you've got them all connected in kind of these related ways um it, it, it makes sense in the real world as right. opposed to just in a black box model type exactly thing, so. exactly so you know you, you mentioned about this tribal not tribal knowledge sme knowledge codification and we still haven't really got into so we've addressed how you know the the typical top-down approach of there's a question that needs some answers. Um, the soldiers go out there and try to find the information with blinders on, very focused on trying to find that information. So, you know, that's, that's you know, what you just called the traditional approach. So this is where asset modeling is coming in to change that approach of how we yeah. gather that information or sorry, how we answer those questions. Yeah, um, I think there's still going to be an element of the traditional approach in the future state. So I think when the question is first asked, um, you're still going to have to go and scrounge and, and find out what's important, why it's important, and kind of come up with an answer to that question. But what we're trying to do here is um, all of those learnings and and relationships that you're thinking about when you're trying to come up with the the inputs to answer that question 
if you can structure it in a way that you can reuse, then next time that question's asked, it can be automatically answered. Okay, so, so for example, management says, I want some budgets for a particular fleet of assets for next year or the next five years. You go away and you collect all of that information um, and then the analysis you might perform off it might be some sort of budgetary projections. If you codify that so that next time they ask, what's the budget going to be for the next five years, you should be able to press a button and answer that question automatically, right? And, um, and if you can't, if, if you go back to the drawing board and say, oh, well, we can't use the same sort of approach because now our assets are in different condition or our, you know, our business requirements have changed or our whatever has changed, um, that's, to me, that's not an excuse. Like that, those differences need to also be captured. Exactly. This is right. Exactly. Right. And so then you're going to go, all right, well, what's the effect of age on its performance and therefore its associated right. budget? Just, you know, you put that yeah. exactly the condition of that asset should have been considered in the first initial um, answering that question for the next five years. Right. So then. Yeah. Right. Yes. That, 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 sorry. <laughs> you no, know, sorry. That, that makes a lot of sense to me is, is you didn't answer that question fully to begin with. Right. Yeah. Or okay. you just answered it based on as is. Like you've answered it based on the current conditions of all the assets, but what you need to consider is like, what are all the possible conditions? What could they be? And then what's their effect on, um, you know, their, their failure projections and risk projections and budgets and so on that come off the back of that. So you, you're really going back to this asset model or knowledge base at the start and considering all the different variants and, and factors and, and, influential um, bits of information that can change the, the possible outcomes. Um, and then cap, and that's where that, again, that SME logic is. It's like, how does environment affect the performance? How does the condition of the asset increase or decrease its likelihood of failure and therefore um, you know, may need more spares or whatever it is. And so it's about drawing all of that sort of stuff out. And it's more, it is a bit more complex than, like RCM and um, the traditional ways of doing things because you've got to think about it in a different way and a bit more abstractly and um, there's a lot more information that goes into a knowledge base like this. Um, but the benefit is then automatability off the back of it um, and reusability and being Reusab able to... This is exactly yeah. what I was going to say, reusability, right? If you, I mean, answer, if you answer that question once, you're going to need to answer it again. Right. You're going yeah, to have yeah. to at some point, you're going to answer that. That question is going to be asked of you from the top down, likely again. Um, right. It'll, but it'll be, it'll be asked again. So we, I guess we, in, in this might be an open-ended question, but if you had to describe what is asset modeling, right. How, how would you describe kind of what that is? Um, I would say that it's, it's essentially the framework that captures, um, subject matter expert decision-making logic and current thinking or your current view of the world through the lens of a particular asset class. Okay. And that's what, and it's, right. and it's all inclusive. It's like everything you possibly know about that asset class. So, um, it, <laughs> that, that's it. If, if, if at its simplest point, right. Um, but the key thing to it is that you can't just, 
capture everything you know in like text form or just dump it all in one place as a sort of repository, you need to be able to use it. So it needs to have a structure or a framework to how all the data is captured and connected. And um, yeah, so it's a combination of everything you know about asset class in a framework that we can use to leverage that to answer business questions in an automated and routine way. Right. So it's all about getting the information on specific asset classes to, to be able to answer questions, to, to give yep. you repeatable answers to questions, I guess, in a, yeah. in a very logical way of, of, of thinking about it. So, you know, what, what would typical data sources be in terms of a, inter, in terms of a asset modeling? So you've mentioned Fumika, RCMs, things like that. So how do they come into play to feed that SME knowledge, that tribal knowledge that then gets put into um, an asset modeling framework? Okay, so the Fumikas and like RCM type processes, um, they, they're doing their process to come up with a particular end goal, right? So for makers are uh, typically to assess criticality of assets and which is the most important. So you can make decisions off the back of that. And so they'll facilitate, you know, failure mode level information, um, events or effects type information, and then some form of criticality, which is, you can look at that as like a consequence lens, like, um, and whether you do it as like monetized risk or not, it's a, those are the kind of three main elements. So failure modes, like effects or events and consequence or criticality levels, right? Mm -hmm. um, so those three elements all are included in, in an asset model, but they're just broken up. So you, you, cap, you need to capture a failure mode information. You need to capture the possible events that can occur and the criticalities or consequences of them. Um, uh, but they're, yeah, they're separated so that you can essentially, from an asset model, derive a Formica output, right? The same right. thing that you would go through with the Formica, you can derive that from the asset model structure. Okay. Um, but the reason we split it up is because those failure modes um, are used for a lot of other different things apart from just Formicas. Like they're used to inform like maintenance strategy, they're used to inform um, you know, some predictive tech, like you want to link some predictive technologies to your failure modes and that kind of thing. So um, having them separated allows you to have co like common interface points, I guess, to all of them. Right. Because, so, yeah. So what I took away from that is the, the, the data out of those or the outputs, as you said, like to use. Um, so if you're going to look at, you know, budget, you're also going to look at failure modes, likelihood of failure, but if you're going to look at implementing predictive technologies, you also need to understand the failure modes, right? Yep. So you can, yep. with the data input, obviously you can answer just more than one question that they were intended for. You um, might do a Fumika just to manage risk to figure out, you know, which, which assets you need to maintain more or whatever it's going to be. But the, the, the same information or same data can be used to answer different questions that may have come out of that same analysis procedure or tribe or knowledge in this case. Yeah, so you can't just take a Formica and put it straight in as, as it stands. Like if you break it up, then what happens is as you learn and as you add a new failure mode to the model, right? Like you, maybe you've had a failure and you didn't consider it before. You go, oh, oh, there's a new failure mode. I'll go and add that to the model. By by adding it to its relevant section, it will then update a Formica type output. It would update 
the new strategies, it would update like any prediction or predictive tech recommendations and stuff based on those new failure modes. So because it's it's not coupled to a specific output, which in this case is a Formica, um, and the Formica is then rederived instantly once you update that information. So you've always got like a current version of it. Do you get what I mean? And it doesn't matter which, you could update the consequences to the business, which would affect budgets and, and maybe strategy and so on, but that would also update your Formica as well. So it, it, you're deriving these, the Formica is typically an output of an analysis process, but it draws on the asset knowledge all the way to the left, which is when what we're capturing, if that makes sense. Um, so there's there's its inputs to the model. When you're saying inputs to the model, um, I'm going to just make a caveat here. Um, so there's the content of the model itself, which is what we were just talking about, value modes and consequences, but then other stuff like plans and costs and decisions and that kind of thing. But then there's inputs, which is what does the model need to understand um, your specific assets that you're looking at. And they're, they're usually input in the form of data. And this is things like asset information, environmental information, operational information, um, conditional info, and that kind of thing. And so those inputs are, are different to what actually goes into a model to build it in the first place. Those inputs come in when you want to use the model. Does that make sense? It, no, it, it does. I, I think I understand that. So you don't need the the um, temperature trend, for example, or use that pipe example, you don't need the pH of the air or, or those type of data to build the model, but to actually take the output from the model, then you would take that into account. Yeah, kind of. So I would say like, when you build a model, what you're doing is you're, you're forming that knowledge base with all the SMEs in the room and, and all those Excel sheets and so on and going, how do I understand a pipe works? And you'll put, you know, your lives and value modes and all that stuff in as well as how environment affects it. And you might say like environment affects it by this much and reduces life by this much and whatever it is, however you want to think about it, you can codify it that way. That's all the information that goes into the model build. But then when you want to use it, you're then going to apply that to a specific section of pipe and the inputs that come in might be this is the environment that it's in and this is the length of the pipe and this is the material type and this is the process fluid that's going through it, and it doesn't have a lining and what once those inputs come in then the decision logic goes oh, well all right we're going to reduce the life of it by this much it doesn't have lining so the lining failure modes go away you know the the length of it is this long so the probability of failure is like slightly increased because of its length and and makes all those decisions for you. So you've got to separate out what you know about how the asset performs in general versus the application of a specific asset. I'll give you an analogy here that I thought was like really good. Um, one of the guys that uh, I work with came up with it and it, it's basically like, I'm going to do it for the medical field. So doctors, right? Um, they have a knowledge base or a library of literature on everything they know about the human body, okay? And this is what we're talking about when we're sort of saying codify the asset model is to codify how the human body works, right? Put everything we know into, into that model. But then, then customer walks in the door or, or patient walks in the door um, and you then need to apply that 
patients specific, you know, like, like sex, age, like health factors, you know, all of that sort of stuff. In, and that's the, that comes into that model and then you can go, okay, well, you're probably, you know, at this much risk of a heart attack and this much risk of, you know, right. X, Y, and Z. And, and, and then they can diagnose you and then they can recommend actions off the back of that. And so, yeah, it, it's different between like establishing the knowledge base and applying it to a specific person or a specific asset. Right. You know what and, I mean? and yeah, in this case, you, you know, you talk a lot about asset classes. So in that analogy of the doctor, the human is the asset class as a, as a human, right? Correct. Correct. And then, yep. and then, you know, so you're going to start to build that knowledge and, and just because it came up in another podcast, <laughs> you know, the hip bones connected to the tailbone type thing. Right. But if you get yep. right. And that's the, the, the quantification of the knowledge, you know, but then you might have a patient come in that literally has a steel hip. They had their hip replaced. Right. Yep. So that, that brings in a different scenario, no different than the pipe, not having a liner. This person doesn't have a hip, it's metal, right? Um, yep. So it brings in that that nuance into that model for that specific. And, and that might take that might take modes of failure off the table or put, put new ones in. Right. At, at, compared to a typical person, right? right? So yeah, that that's this that's how we're approaching it. Same sort of way. So we create a knowledge base first and then we apply it to the specific assets or people um, to derive like what's likely to happen in that scenario. Right. And from there, you can then make your recommendations and how you maintain your body, how much exercise you do, you know, right. you need, you need a transplant or whatever it is. So, yeah. Okay. Understood. So when, when you're building these models, so is it, and, and maybe this is literally too literal from the AI side of things, but um, is it like one, I'll call it master model where everything's in one spot so you can you can answer these questions you're going to throw at it or do you end up doing specific models so if i'm going to um you know forecast what my budget is for the next five years it might be a different model different information than i need than it would be to um you know figure out which technology i need to put onto it yeah so the way the way this works is there's one model that contains everything i know about that asset class Okay. Yeah. Everything goes in there, but there's all different types of analysis that you can run off the back of that. And the analysis is where the calculation is. That's where the like um, budget projections are done and, and strategies optimized and that kind of thing. And each different type of analysis may only draw from some parts of the model. They don't necessarily need all the information that's in there. Like for example, if you were to um, project budgets, it might just be failure rates and costs or something like that. Like you could do it as simple or as complex as you want. Um, and things like all the different event types and that might not be relevant. Um, so the analysis draws from that model, the information that it needs, runs its calculations and projections, and then says, here's what your budget should be. Right. right. So okay. one model, whole bunch of different types of analysis. And the, and the interesting thing is the different types of analysis are sometimes industry specific. So, you might have a maintenance strategy optimization analysis for just, you know, mining, for example, but oil and gas uses like different standards, like risk-based inspections and things like that, where they, they come up with the intervals of inspection at different frequencies based on a, on a methodology. Now you're still using, the, it's still the same pressure vessel, whether it's in mining or oil and gas or, or the same pressure vessel model, let's say they might have different, um, 
specs on the application and that kind of thing. But but you can determine the maintenance strategy two different ways or three different ways or however many different ways. And so the analysis that gets run, um, you, we can build out as many different types as we want, but they're the industry-specific ones or company-specific ones. So. Right. And I'll, I'll go back and, and, you know, my early career was um, in, in automation systems. And at that time, there was some fuzzy logic and MPC control, which, which most people might not know what it is. But essentially, for those to work, we had to capture asset knowledge from operators and things like that. And one of, in my opinion, one of the fundamental reasons why it wasn't as successful as it should have been on paper, at least, was asset knowledge, tribal knowledge, SME knowledge is always changing. It's always evolving. And when it, it literally you had to build models in these type of expert systems is it didn't adapt well to change, right? And you, you made that analogy that sometimes you might go in there and realize you didn't have the correct inputs or considerations or the, that knowledge in that initial model. So yep. I'm, I'm assuming that this is a living, breathing creature where it's constantly evolving to get accurate, more accurate answers to the questions. Yeah. So the questions aren't part of it. Like the questions are the, the, um, the, the, in the analysis, the questions are answered by the analysis. But if we're just looking at the model itself, um, let's, let's pretend for a second, we have a pump model for different types of pumps. That's a global one. So we put up a model onto our platform and say, everyone in the world that uses pumps, all the information goes in here. Okay. Now that is going to be continually changing because there's always new technologies coming out on the market. There's new material types, there's new applications in different processes and so on. And so you can go in there and add in or update the thinking as new data comes to light or as new technologies come out to then account for that specific application or that specific pump or that specific technology type or material type or whatever it is. So it is like a, think about it as like, this is the way we currently view the world and or the view, view these pumps. Um, and as we learn, we don't keep that knowledge in our heads. We codify it. Right. Right. Which that like, that's the Holy grail because one of the biggest challenges that I hear quite a bit is, you know, we're, we're losing a lot, 20, 30 years of experience as people start to retire. Right. Yeah. Um, yep. That's literally walking out the door. Um, and, and, you know, a lot of them are becoming successful coming back as consultants and making more money than they did when they were there in the first place. Um, <laughs> right. But yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and kudos to them because they built up that knowledge. Right. Um, you know, the guy I used to apprentice under said, I'm here for what I know, not for what I do. Right. And that always yeah. stuck with me because that's exactly it. He didn't work much, but man, did he know a lot. Um, yeah. So a lot of that's coming out then. And, and it, it didn't really stick in until you just mentioned that from, you know, you mentioned from a, you know, a world perspective, but you know, how many companies are, are global international companies that have plants everywhere. Right. And that standard way of looking at data and, and answering those same getting repeatable answers to the questions you're looking for with the same criteria is unbelievable, right? Um, yep. and, I, and I think that's the a, a huge takeaway for me. Now, my question for you is asset classes. So you mentioned a pump. Like, would you build separate asset models for different style, like a centrifugal pump versus a positive displacement pump or something like that? Like, um, you, you could, uh, we would, like basically the, the reason why we 
group them in asset classes is because there's lots of like common inputs and common um, elements of data that are applicable across all the pumps right. and or, or all, all of the things in that asset class. And it doesn't particularly matter like at what level you model them, just it's, it's whatever makes sense. We've just found that asset classes by, by putting all those different types of pumps into one model is, um, is easy, I guess. It's, it's an ease of use thing. So um, the way we would model it now is all those centrifugal positive displacement, diaphragm pumps, all of that would sit in one pump model. Um, so there'd be one source of information that you went to for pumps. Right. At the end of the day, the, the pump's objective, right? Or, or system objective is to move fluid from one end to the other, right? Um, so I think yeah. that, that, that makes and sense. Sorry, go ahead. Uh, and so when you then apply that pump model to a specific context, right, you're, you're specifying it's a diaphragm pump of this type, of this size, of this um, process fluid in, in this environment. And then, you know, the model decision logic says, well, you, you now need a diaphragm. You don't need the impellers, you know, turn all that stuff off, adjust the failure rates for the environment that it's in um, on those specific modes that are corrosion related, for example. Um, and then make all the adjustments according to those. It, one, one parallel that you can draw is like, if you've been through an RCM workshop before mm -hmm. and, uh, and there's a facilitator in that workshop, the facilitator asks a series of questions. What type of pump is it? What type of environment is it in? You know, does it have these things on it? That is the information that isn't being captured. Like, well, it, it is for that specific asset, but the logic that's going on in the facilitator's head is I need to know this bit of information is important because it affects the components that are in the asset or it affects failure rates of the asset or affects something. And so we know it's important. And if we capture those relationships, we can then um, apply to any pump. Right. So, yeah. So what is a, a, a typical engagement around asset modeling look like? Is it a, it's a it's a, a service and a platform to retain uh, the 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 information and models. Yeah, um, we we kind of fit in the same space of like the. It usually starts with a question, right? Because businesses still are operating under that whole top down thing. We we need to know spares. We need to know um, uh, maintenance strategy, or we need to know budgets, or whatever it is. Um, so we, we get in, in, in that sort of space. Um, but what we sort of suggest is, okay, we're going to go and do all this groundwork information and look at failure modes and all of that sort of stuff to come up with your answer. But we want to capture it in this specific framework so that next time you come back and you ask us for, ask us for budgets instead, we can, we can add the budget elements to it and then reuse what we've done before. Right. And so, um, yeah, so there's a platform element to it. Like we've got our own platform that we use to build these models in. Um, and then we've got a whole bunch of different types of analysis that we can run off the back of it. And we're always building new different types of analysis and new outputs and new models. Um, but one, one of the things that's actually different to like with us and other consultants in this space is that we believe the industry knowledge belongs to industry so we're not trying to sell you back IP that's already you know come from from industry. Like, I guess 
the other thing is like if you want to continually improve the content of these models, you need to have them open and transparent so people people can try and poke holes in the logic and try and improve it, right? So we we provide a platform where you can come and build these models out and collaborate with um, people either in the same company or in the same industry or across industries on how you think about pumps, for example, and um, it, then then leveraging that to answer business questions, you, you can kind of do a whole bunch of different ways. But um, yeah, so anyway, back to the question. A typical engagement is usually it's still the same way that everyone's done it before. It's just we use a different framework. So we're future-proofing the next business question that comes along. Exactly. Uh, and that goes against every bone of a consultant's typical business model is, right, is to... Um, Bill hours. Yes, exactly. Don't, 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 yeah. don't be more efficient. Yeah. That's exactly. <laughs> yeah, I was trying to put that up. Yeah, you know, that, that's a broad statement. I'm sure some consultants will listen to this and be angry at that because, you know, there are there are a lot of organizations that'll have, you know, FEM, FMEA or FEMICA templates that are, you know, leveraged from other, you know, other pumps or something, for example. Then you try to fine tune them and, and stuff like that to, to get a leg up. But yeah, that's, that's exactly it. Right. And I love that, you know, future proofing because if you're, answering one question now and you said most of the engagement starts with the question there's there's a follow-up question there's another one coming down the, the, the pipeline right um, yeah yep. that, that's good exactly. um so as, as we get into this and and you know i'm still trying to um visualize you know what this would look like and what the platform would look like I, i'm assuming you have examples out there or something like that but um what a, what a um like maybe something we can do a, a, a webinar and, and actually share these examples or something like that out there. But um, what, what, what would be the, um, for the listeners to, to learn more about this process? Cause I think it's going to pique a lot of interest. And I think what they're going to say is, you know, we, we, we could probably talk here for the next three hours and eventually I'll eventually understand it enough, which means the listeners already did by the time I typically understand it. Um, most other people have, but um, where could they find more information specifically about Modula, but then also just asset asset modeling in general and your approach? I'm not, I'm not sure really. Like this, this type of approach is kind of new to us. Like we're building it. Yeah. Um, and we're building it based off like years of experience running RCM processes and, and being frustrated with like the inefficiency of it and not being able to reuse stuff. Um, so yeah, it, it essentially all it is, is it's a mishmash of RCM. So if you're, if you're up to speed on, um, like the reliability center maintenance approach, yep. um, but then what's actually happened is there's a, uh, out of the UK, there was the standard called the CNAIM and it's the common network asset indices methodology. Um, it's specifically for. Uh, electrical or electricity distribution utilities um, in the UK. So it's not industry agnostic, it's just for them. Um, but what they've done is they've they've tried to build asset models using this whole what's important, what changes approach. Um, they're, they're kind of lacking in the reliability foundation, um, but it brought the whole like scalability um, part of it of the equation to us like we're like this some of the stuff that's in these cnaim models is really really cool and how they're approaching it is really interesting um 
if we merge that with RCM, then we cover all the bases and we can we can tick all the boxes. So what our approach is is kind of like a hybrid of RCM foundation, but making it multi-dimensional like the CNIM models. Um, so yeah, that that's where our approaches come from. So yeah. you can check out our website. We've got some information on there. It's pretty high level. It's not it's not too technical, um, but we're producing like uh, some bits of content when we can, like these webinars and stuff that get into it a bit more. Um, and yeah, we, we haven't got anything out that's like really, really detailed down in the detail yet, but happy to, to run a webinar or something on it if there's think, an, enough interest. Be, oh, I, 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 I can't speak for our listeners here, but I got a feeling there's going to be a lot of interest because that capturing that tribal knowledge and, and making sure you have um, um, reusable, <laughs> um, you know, uh, ways of answering questions, I think, uh, and, and not having to reinvent the wheel every time, not just from an individual or plant location, but across an organization. So anybody that's responsible, well, I guess, you know, I was going to say responsible for more than one pump, but you can be in one plant and have a lot of pumps. Um, but there's simply like uh, global maintenance reliability people that are on planes and going from plant to plant like that is just tremendous value. Yeah. The one caveat I would put in would be like, you, you've almost hit the nail there with regards to all the different pumps or um, pipes or whatever it is. This approach lends itself to delivering lots of value for assets that are very common and, and high volume. Um, you know, in elect, that's why electricity distribution came out with that approach because they got millions of poles around the streets and millions of wires and cross arms and you know tra distribution transformers and so on. So it, high volume um, reusability, but tailorability to the specific context. Um, if you were dealing with like large complex assets that are one-offs, right? Then then you know you can still use this framework because. Um, it's essentially like an RCM framework, but but you you won't necessarily need to reuse it that much. So it you know, may not it's, be worth the effort right. of going in using a specific platform or approach. Yeah, exactly. I think that's a really valid point there of of, of you know common assets. And, and you know, I'm looking. I'm just running through my head of industries, and and every industry has that one unique piece of equipment, right? That's been manufactured strict for them, but you see around the critical utility sides and things like that, right? Everyone's moving cooling around, cooling water around and and things like that, right? So I, I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah, so I think what we'll do is is and we, it's an idea we've been we've been looking at inside maintenance disrupted is to is to host uh, more visual learning aspects because obviously this this is a podcast and and some things are just better shown in example and, and not talking through, right? Um, yeah. And but your analogy of 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 the doctor I think was spot on. And this is something, you know, as you said, you're, it's, it's, it's evolving. There's, there's not a lot of information out there, but fundamentally it just makes so much sense for, I think a lot of people are going to be hovering around this. So um, what I'll do in the show notes, I'll, I'll put a link to, to your, your video from the uh, asset management council. Cause I think that does a really good job. And there's some visuals in there. Cause you had a slide deck to that presentation. It's about 30 minutes. I'll put a link to your website and then uh, well, I'll also just touch base with you um, to see if we can uh, do something to, to do something more visual with our audience as well. Yeah, that'd be good. Perfect. Looking forward to it.
Awesome. Well, Dave, thank you so much. And, and um, I won't mention the person's names. So I didn't didn't uh, ask if I could, but uh, the person that forwarded me, um, Dane's information saying I had to talk to them. Thank you so much. You know who you are uh, for bringing this type of content on our show. So thanks again, Dane, and, and we'll be in touch shortly.